good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is JD. I'm the youth pastor here at Connect Church. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Those are my youth students. I love them dearly. <laughs> So our youth group, The Collective, you can see us there in the back. Uh, we meet once a week. Uh, we serve our middle school and high school age students uh, just here in the church, here in our valley. It's a great time. We, we like to say we practice the party at The Collective, as it were. I'll talk more about that uh, later in the message, but uh, it's a great time. We always start with a meal and games just so that we can get to know you guys a little bit more, uh, kind of lighten up the air a little bit. And then, of course, we end with some combination of message, worship, breakouts, Bible studies, all the good stuff. So if you have any questions on what that looks like, uh, come talk to either myself or my wife, Becca. She's probably walking around with our baby somewhere. Yeah, there she is. And we can give you guys more information about that. Uh, another role that I play here at the church is uh, as a member of our staff teaching team. I don't know if you guys know that, but we do have a teaching team that meets and regularly prays and constructs the messages for Sunday. And that's why I'm here this morning. I will be giving you guys the message because Pastor Russ and Chris are actually out of town. They are in Kalispell because they officiated a wedding. So they gave me the pass to do the message this week. So... I don't know what that means. We'll see what happens. If you guys want me back, maybe, you'll <laughs> maybe it'll happen. Who knows? Uh, but as being a member of the teaching team, when Russ first presented this idea, this message series of plenty, uh, I was really excited. And my mind immediately went to um, something that I'm going to get to. But we are indeed still in our Plenty series. So for those of you who are excited for something new, something fresh, Russ said last week was going to be the last week. He said it was the bonus week. This week I'm calling our Encore Week. So if you guys want to get into character, I'll just walk off stage like we're done and everything's, you know, we're, oh, it's all over, man. Ah, who's going to give the message? <laughs> I'm glad that you guys played along with it because it would have been really awkward if I just <laughs> one more song, one more song. And then this is where I play uh, Live and Let Die. <laughs> We've got fireworks coming off the stage. Bet you didn't see that coming this Memorial Day. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so like I said, when Russ first presented this idea for the message, my mind, personally, I come from a background of food service. That's where most all of my work experience is from. So my mind immediately went to food. I love food. I love cooking. Um, and so I had this idea of this massive banquet table, right, like dinner tables that you see in the movies where there's just copious amounts of food just all over the table. It's basically overflowing the sides. Now, I want you guys to try and guess what this movie is from. Those of you who had good childhoods, you'll know what this is from. The Muppets Christmas Carol. I actually did not know this growing up. I was introduced to it by my wife. So say that what you will about my previous comment. <laughs> But they always have such great tables in the movies, right, where there's just plenty of food to go around. Eh? Plenty, like the message series. Wow, connected. Everything's together. <laughs> yeah, until you have to clean up the table afterwards, yeah. That's when family decides, oh, I'm so tired. I should probably get going. What time is it? Ah. <laughs> Right, but so if you have this imaginary table in your head like I did, maybe for you it looks like sushi, right? How many of you guys love sushi? Right? Maybe not Dave's Sushi, but sushi in general, yeah? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. They're reopening soon if you guys want to go back. I think it's this week, <laughs> right? But there's like, there's like 
all the best sushi. They got the dragon rolls, the California rolls, the rainbow, all the sushi is like super fresh and clean, right? They got the nigiri with the tuna and salmon, right? Some of you guys are like, oh, I love sushi. This sounds great. Maybe you don't like sushi, so it's more like steak and potatoes kind of table for you, right? Yeah, there you go. You got those slow roasted ribs that just fall off the bone with whatever favorite barbecue sauce you have, right? Mine's Famous Dave's Devil Spit. I'm going to be sad when they go out of business because I heard that they're closing. <laughs> they did already? Yeah, okay. So it wasn't just a rumor. Man, I guess I'll find a new spicy barbecue sauce to use, right? Or like, like Russ talked about, this massive ribeye that's just fat and juicy dripping with all the best, like, oh, man. And then, of course, there you go. Yeah, exactly, right? And then right next to it is going to be the biggest portion of potatoes you've ever seen. This is why I love potatoes, because you can use them for so many different dishes, right? You've got mashed potatoes, scalloped potatoes, baked potatoes, loaded baked potatoes. Who doesn't like potatoes with bacon, right? And then maybe like a little bit of gravy made out of the drippings from the steak. Oh, oh I'm, getting, I'm getting hungry. Exactly, yeah, right? And then, well... Maybe for some of you guys, it's just fruit and vegetables, okay? I, I'm not here to judge to each their own. Um, <laughs> but like I said, right, it's just the table overflowing with an abundant amount of food. And for me personally, it actually takes me to the holidays, right? Thanksgiving time with my grandma and grandpa growing up. Now, they lived in Missoula, and my grandma, bless her soul, she had 11 kids, okay? They're old school Catholic. And so they had the biggest Thanksgiving dinners. Not everyone was able to make it, of course, everyone's kind of scattered around, but it still kind of felt like a mini family reunion every Thanksgiving time. And it was so much fun, but because of the amount of people coming, we needed more space. And so it was our job as the siblings, because grandma would spend all day cooking, she wouldn't let anyone in the kitchen, she'd be doing all of that, but our role was to go down into the basement, load all of those extra wooden chairs out of the closet, as well as those massive like table leaves. How many of you guys have table leaves, right? You make your table larger. Some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm talking to the youth, okay? They're like, what is a table leaf? <laughs> Right? But you have to make room for all the people, but also the food, right? Oh, my goodness, the best food you can imagine. Everyone's got their grandma with their favorite recipes that they make. My grandma makes the best potato salad and the best pumpkin pie. So if any of you want to compete for that, come at me, all right? My grandma can hold her own. Uh, but there was always more than enough, right? We'd have like seconds, thirds, fourth. By the end of the night, everyone was in a coma. So with all of these thoughts about Thanksgiving growing up, all my family around, these plates of plenty of food, right? People laughing and passing down extras. It brought me to a verse that some of you probably know that's found in Psalm 23, written by King David. And I want you guys to keep this idea of this dinner table in mind as we read. So Psalm 23, starting in verse 5. We're going to have it up on the screen, or you can find it in your Bibles if you have copies. So starting in verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yeah, I hear some of you repeating it. You know this one. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Right? So when I read this verse, there's a question that comes to mind, and we're going to break it down here, and it's this. Who is at your table? If you have notes this morning, we're going we're gonna to fill those out. They're up here. We got some in the back if you'd like a physical copy. Otherwise, they are in the app as well. But if God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, 
who's at that table, right? So this, this morning is kind of going to be like a, like a gate check like we did back when we were in Nehemiah where we're inspecting the walls of the city to get a better understanding. But in this case, it's going to be the dinner table, okay? So I want to play around with this metaphor that David uses and ask you guys three questions. Uh, and the guiding objective is going to be to determine who's at your table, okay? So the first question that I want to start with is this. Is God at your table? Right? This one might seem a little bit odd at first, right? Because David tells us that he's the one who prepared it for you in the first place. But is he still there? Right? Because either he is or he isn't, and it'll all depend on who God is to you. Where does he stand in your life and at the table? If we read the rest of Psalm 23, we'll get to see who God was in David's life. So let's use this opportunity to take inventory, okay? So we're going to jump up to verse 1. In Psalm 23, and David starts by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now see, before David was king, he got his start as a shepherd boy, right? A lot of you know that. And he tended his father's flock, right? So he served this role well into his youth, and he knew what it meant to be a shepherd when he attributed this likeness to God in verses 1 and 2. Now, the thing you got to know about domesticated sheep is they are, they are a little silly. <laughs> they are a little silly because they literally cannot survive on their own. The shepherd is responsible for their every need. They have to be literally taken to fields of pasture and clean water because otherwise they'll get lost. They'll, they'll find the nearest cliff to fall off of because they don't know what they're doing. They just have flocking mentality and one person strays and the rest are like, oh, I guess we're going this way. And there's hazards all over the place, right? Not just like danger and uh, violence waiting around the corner and predators. But they also need to be groomed regularly because if they overgrow, they'll get covered in mats and dirt and sticks and then you get infections and their hooves can overgrow and they won't even be able to walk. It's ridiculous how literally helpless they are in need of a shepherd. So David knew what it meant to be a shepherd with these flocks of sheep completely reliant upon you for their needs, their well-being, and he's fondly recounting the times where God has been that shepherd to him as the sheep, right? This is the uh, epitome of our, of our plenty series that we've been in for <laughs> almost two months now. But we see that God is the source of all of our needs, right? He's the one who provided everything on that dinner table, green pastures, still waters. He's got the best food. He's got the best drink, right? <laughs> Everything you need is right there, right? David says, I shall not want. So we see that David trusted God not just to lead him, but he also knew God as his source of sustenance and provision, right? But David knew that God provided more than just his physical needs. In verse 3, he goes on to say, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And again, David mentions how he trusts God to lead him, but then he also kind of throws in this little phrase, he restores my soul. Oh, doesn't that just sound so nice this morning, right? God restoring your soul. I think all of us could use a little bit more of that restoration in our lives. But the Hebrew word that they use in restores here 
is actually the word shuv. And as you might think, it means to refresh, to repair, to restore, okay? So David knew God as his source of rebuilding and restoring when he felt overwhelmed and helpless. But even more than that, this word shuv means to bring back, to bring back, right? In, in our walk with God, just like sheep, we tend to stray sometimes, right? We wander off and we do our own thing. And we get it wrong from time to time. And David was no exception to this. But he says that God restores us. He brings us back into alignment and relationship with him, and he restores our soul. Right? It uh, reminded me of the Japanese process of kintsugi. Some of you have heard of this before. We've talked about it uh, at Connect before, where they take broken pieces of pottery and ceramic, and they repair it with inlays of gold, right? And it just becomes so much more beautiful than the original could have even been, right? This is that kind of restoration he's talking about, right? We feel restored, refreshed, renewed, and brought back together with God, right? It'd be pretty kind of cool if that was the dinnerware at your table. I'd like that. But once again, we see David trusted God to lead him, and he knew God as his source of restoration. Okay? Finally, we get to verse 4, and he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this is where David's talking about how he trusts God in the middle of his trials, in the middle of hardships, in the middle of whatever darkness he's describing here, right? The valley of the shadow of death. But yet it says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, right? God's got his back here. David's again comparing uh, God to this role as shepherd who protects his sheep, Right, in, the, in the Old Testament, there's an account where, where David is going to Saul, King Saul, because there's a, a massive giant hulk of a warrior named Goliath who's shouting insults in the middle of a battle, right? And he's saying, come at me. Who's your God that he could stand against me, right? And David goes to the king and he says, why are we letting this guy do it? All the other soldiers are trembling their boots. I'll go take a crack at this guy, right? <laughs> but then King Saul, he kind of ridicules him a little bit. He's like, what do you mean? You're a youth. You're a kid. What are you going to do against this guy? He's been a warrior since his youth. And David responds by saying this in 1 Samuel 17. I'm just going to read it to you guys. It says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, a lion or a bear, how many of you guys have seen a lion or a bear in person? They're pretty terrifying, okay? <laughs> Whenever they came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Whew. He was not just this little, little baby shepherd boy that we, that we see in the, the depictions of this account, right? He was capable of killing a lion and a bear in the defense of his father's flock. And so David knows how God has done that for him. So yes, the, the, the helpless little shepherd boy, nah, he knew what it was like. He knew the dangers, just like God knows the dangers against us, and he tries to protect us from the same thing, just like David. 
So yes, the rod and the staff are instruments that were used to help lead, to guide the sheep. They were also used as weapons of defense for the flock. And God knows that the table looks good, right? He's not going to prepare a lackluster table for you. He knows this stuff is going to want to be taken out of that table that's meant for you, and he's ready to defend it, okay? So David trusted God to lead him and be his source of deliverance from his enemies. Why? Because you are with me. And all of this has culminated to when we get to verse 5, where it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? When we read the entirety of this chapter, it becomes really obvious that God is at the table with David because of who he is to him. So who is God to you? And is he there at the table that he's prepared for you? Because for some of us, we've gotten into the habit of treating God as just this, this servant for us, right? At our beck and call that whenever we need him, we're like, all right, God, come on. Stuff's going wrong. I need you to fix it for me. And then we just shoo him away like a, like a servant or a butler, right? So maybe he's not at the table with you. Can we be a little bit more like David where God is such an integral part of your life that he's sitting there excited to eat with you, yeah. right? So good. Who's at your table? Now, this next question is a little bit more recent of an addition to my message, but I felt it was necessary to address formally because if God prepares a table for us, at number two, are we even at the table? Because for a lot of us here, God is all of those things that David talked about, so it would make sense that you're there with God. But what if that's not where you or your neighbor or your friend stands? Right? Maybe, maybe you came here this morning for the first time, or you've been hesitant to make that decision to follow Jesus. What if for you, God is one of those things that you keep at an arm's length? Right? You keep them out at a distance, maybe because of how you were raised or someone in the church hurt you or maybe in the Bible you read something that you didn't agree with and it's given you a, an impression of God that you don't like, so you just keep him pushed away. Maybe it's because you're in a season of life where it doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot of plenty and you've become angry and bitter with God and that's why you keep him at a distance. Maybe you've just opted for that dine and dash model that Russ talked about, right? Where you didn't trust that there would be plenty, so you just snagged what you could from the table and you ran and you hid, right? For a lot of us, we think that a relationship with God is out of reach, right? You've, you've lived your life in such a way where it's cost you something and it's left you wounded and you're carrying that weight around you and it's become a label that's made you feel unworthy of a seat at this table. Listen, I wanna tell you guys this morning that no matter what you've heard, no matter what someone else might have spoken over you, whatever identity you might have of yourself, it's never too late for you to take a seat at this table that God prepares for you, right? That's one of the best things about this thing that we call the good news is that it's not something we have to earn. Right? We don't have to chase after this. We don't have to do things in order to be, to be good enough to have a seat at God's table. 
He simply waits for us and offers it. It's that gift of grace waiting for us to take it. Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, there's a, there's a parable, a story that he uses to illustrate this point. And this is what I mean by at the collective, we practice the party, right? This is where Jesus is telling the story about the, the prodigal son, right? Where he, he went away, he squandered his father's inheritance. He asked for it early, basically saying, I wish you were dead. I want my money now. He goes and wastes it on all kinds of stuff. And he comes back because he's eating pig slop. He's like, at least I could be a servant at my father's house and I would be fed there. And he's got this whole apology that he's rehearsed in his head. And when he gets there, you know what it is? It's God, the Father, waiting there. And as soon as he sees his son, he rushes up to him and he wraps him in the biggest hug. And he says, my son, I thought you were dead. But you've come back and now you're alive. And what do they do? He puts the robe on him, he puts the ring on him, he puts sandals on his feet, and he says, we're going to celebrate, we're going to have a party. We're going we're gonna to cook the fattened calf, and it's going to be great. We're going to celebrate. And that's what we do at The Collective. We celebrate students coming back into relationship with God, but he does that for all of us, right? Again, we see this idea of a dinner table, this feast that God wants to prepare for you. But there's still a choice that we have to make, Right? There's still a choice to either sit at that table to take that seat or to stand on the sidelines. So what exactly are you waiting for? Could be that you're waiting for me to lead you in some kind of prayer, right? Or like an altar call where you come here. I'm not gonna make you raise your hand. I'm not gonna make you stand up or do anything awkward or uncomfortable like that. I want this to be as easy as possible. So. You guys know that check-in number that we used earlier during announcements? I'm going to throw that back up on the screen. If that's you this morning where you've taken a break from God, you've wandered away, and you're just not sure if you want to come back, or you have questions, or you just, you just want to know what, what's going on in your life, or maybe you do want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to text that number and just say, I want to know Jesus, okay? And I will personally guarantee that Either myself or Russ, probably me, will follow up with you, okay? Everyone good? Clear on instructions? Yep. Yeah? Okay. Hopefully you don't have AT&T like I do and you don't have service right now. <laughs> <laughs> Who's at your table? So God already did all the work for you. The table is set. Are you going to accept the invitation? So we've talked about God as role for the table as the provider of plenty and now as our personal patsy to welcome us back into the party. We have a third and final question to discuss and that's this, if you're taking notes. Is there a thief at your table? Now some of you are probably thinking, wait a second, we just spent all of this time building up this huge awesome table that God prepared for us. I finally accepted that I'm going to be there and I'm going to partake of it. Now there's someone else who's trying to steal off of my table. Yes, uh, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. (laughs) 
And this is actually the, the, the ribbon chase that I, that I started with. Uh, for those of you who don't know, ribbon chase is a term that Kelly Hostetter coined. She's also out of town this weekend. And uh, the way that she brought it to us is basically this. When she's reading scripture, there's oftentimes something on the page that just jumps out at her. Right? And the way she describes it is as this ribbon, this bright red ribbon that's blowing at the edge of a tree line, just waiting for you to grab it, see what it is, explore it, and find where it leads. And for me, this is the part that stood out to me, right? God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. It doesn't say on a hill overlooking our enemies. It doesn't say behind an army of God's finest. No, it says right smack dab in the middle of our enemies, right? Which means there's almost certainly a thief at your table, and if he's not already there, he's certainly trying to get a seat there. And Jesus even warns us about it, okay? The, the key verse that we've been using throughout the entirety of this series is John 10.10, where Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? And we've used this part of the verse to springboard into what exactly this plenty-filled lifestyle looks like, right? We've talked about how God is our provider of plenty. He promises plenty and how we can move from this mindset that we often have in our culture from poverty into plenty no matter what. But it's juxtaposed by the first half of this verse that says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but we haven't really taken the time to talk about that part. So we're going to do that this morning. And the first thing that I want to do <laughs> is make note that the thief in this verse, contrary to popular belief, isn't actually talking about the enemy or Satan. Isn't that crazy? How many of you thought that that's what this verse was talking about literally every time we talk about it? Yeah. Now? I thought that way too until I brought this to our teaching team and they were very quick to correct me. <laughs> And that's not to say that those aren't still attributes of the enemy, right? His goal is certainly the same, to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus is actually talking about imposters in this verse. And if we look at the rest of the verses surrounding John 10.10 10 for context, it actually becomes pretty clear. Okay? So we're going to start in verse 7 of John chapter 10, where Jesus is talking to a, a group of Pharisees. Um, he had just healed a man of blindness and... He's like, who, who can I thank for this? Who, who am I looking at, right? And Jesus says that I am the son of God and the Pharisees come over and they start asking questions. And so verse seven, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, this is verse 10, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherds lay down his life for their sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, these imposters who do not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Right There's the enemy coming in. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. All right, so again, we see this illustration of Jesus as shepherd 
not just providing pasture, but now he says, I lay my life down for my sheep. But then we see this role compared and contrasted with this idea of imposters, right? Think of uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Uh, Someone posing as something that they're not in order to lead you astray and take what's been given to you, right? You could also think of Little Red Riding Hood, right? (laughs) It makes my my Thanksgiving dinner with grandma a little bit weirder. (laughs) My grandma, what large dentures you have. So what do, I, what do I mean by imposters? I'm talking about false teachers, false prophets, false messiahs, false idols. Right? This is actually one of the reasons why it was such a struggle for Jesus to get traction in parts of his ministry because plenty of people before him, like he said, had already cried wolf one too many times, claiming to be a prophet, claiming to be Messiah, and obviously they were wrong because Jesus is. But it left people jaded and not wanting to believe that Jesus was any different from the rest of them, right? So imposters, what's the deal with these guys? As an imposter, their role, as Jesus tells us, is thief. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Which means, I think it's a pretty safe bet to assume that all the stuff on that table God prepares for you, which is his provision, his goodness, his plenty, It's the perfect target for that thief to do their thing, to steal, kill, and destroy. So let's play around with this idea of an imposter, the thief that Jesus talks about. Now, if there is an imposter among you, there's a few things to look out for, and it goes back to how you view God. Ignore that. That was just a reference, an inside joke to the youth, okay? I don't need to explain it. They know what it is. But this could look like a lot of things. I'm glad, I'm glad Lucas knows. <laughs> He's involved in the child's life. <laughs> so there, this could look like a lot of different things, right? It could be that person that's looking for joy and fulfillment in all of the wrong places, right? And it could be something as simple as a relationship or an identity or a career, right? There are genuinely some people who are lonely and hurting and they're looking for love and security, acceptance. But the thing about people is we're not perfect. I'm certainly not. My wife knows I'm not. But yet we put people on that same pedestal when we replace relationship with God. And then you end up disappointed you end up hurt because there is someone who will never disappoint you, who will never hurt you, who will never leave you, who will never reject you, who will never abandon you, who will never lie to you, and it's God. But some of us accept that replacement, that imposter, and when we get those things mixed up, that's when we start getting into trouble. Right, our our society today is being barraged with identity culture And this image that God made us in is being distorted and corrupted. And as a result, that imposter, that thief, has stolen, killed, and destroyed that which God had said was good. And it's no wonder that anxiety, depression, and suicide are running rampant in our society. It's no wonder. We've let the world define who we are and who we could be instead of letting God. 
And for some of us, our identity has become an imposter. Listen, don't let the thief steal from your table. Right? If God is our source of restoration and realignment, an imposter will leave you tired and disappointed. Right? For a lot of people, Sunday is a sacred day, not because of church, but because it's part of the weekend. Right? Weekends are for me. Weekends are where I get to go and do what I want to do. You can't tell me that I need to sacrifice my Sunday morning to go to church. What? Nah. I got way better stuff to do. You want me to sacrifice my mornings to be in prayer? You want me to sacrifice my free time to be in fellowship? A lot of times we let our own personal comforts be our source of restoration instead of God. The thing is, it never really truly satisfies us the same way. My biggest thing is letting uh, like Netflix, Hulu, video games, that kind of thing be, be my source of restoration, right? That I'm like, man, I just need some me time, and that's what I default to. <laughs> but then at the end of the night, I'm still tired, I don't feel restored, and then I still have to go back to my, my routine, my schedules, work for the week, but imagine if we spend that time, maybe not all of it, but at least some of it, resting with God, right? That shuv restoration that God talks, that Jesus, David, talks about in Psalm 23, where he says, God, you restore my soul. You bring me back. You refresh me. But those distractions become imposters and they rob us of what God promises us, right? Rest, realignment, peace that surpasses all understanding. And if we don't take that time to let him do that, and instead we let these imposters, we're going to find ourselves more stressed out, more irritable, <laughs> more pessimistic, more tired, and more overwhelmed than ever. In fact, Whenever I find myself feeling that way, right, when I'm just like, I'm so angry, I'm so short, I'm so tired, that's when I always come to the same conclusion, and it's, man, I have not been spending enough time with God to rest the right way. I've been spending way too much time with those imposters. So who's at your table, right? Who's at your table? Is God at your table? Are you there? And is there a thief that you need to give the boot? So we're going to take some time this morning for a little bit of a prayer of examination, okay? Worship team, I don't know where you are, but if you guys wanted to come up, now would be a fantastic time. All right, what, what is it in our lives that keeps us from God's table? Right, have, we, have we pushed him away or treated him like our servant? Have we felt unworthy or undeserving of a place at that table? Or have we let an imposter steal from us and rob what God has promised us? Right, the, best, the best part about all of this is <laughs> none of it disqualifies us from being a part of God's family. Right, he's still right there, just like Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, waiting. And as soon as he sees you, Coming down that hill, he rushes over to greet you and he wraps you in a hug and he says, I'm so glad you're back. Welcome home. Come on, let's eat together.
so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, our hands offered up however you feel the most comfortable, it doesn't matter, we're going to spend some time reflecting, okay? God, would you, would you speak to us this morning? Would you show us the places in our lives that we've been kept from truly experiencing that plenty lifestyle that your son Jesus promised us. Give us, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, hearts to know you this morning, God. And for those of us who have wandered, myself included, would you be our shepherd that leads us back into the fold, into that safety, into that provision that we find in your presence at that table that you've prepared for us. We need more and more, more of your restoration, more of your life that comes through a relationship with you. Father, forgive us for being distracted and letting thieves rob us of the life that takes place when we're with you. We've let them be something that they're not. So would you restore what's been stolen, whether it's identity or purpose, provision, love, and bring it back into alignment in Jesus' name. Heal those broken places that tell us that we're not enough or we don't deserve what you've provided, that grace. That's the beauty of you, our gift giver, that we don't have to earn your love. We simply need to accept the invitation. So we love you, Jesus, and we give you all the permission to have your way in our lives.